Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. got a Bible and you're staying in here this morning and you're not going to a kid's class, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be as we land the plane on this series we've been preaching through the book of Colossians. If you're a guest with us, my name is Shannon. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. Um, When you came in, you should have found a card on the seat around you where you're seated. On one side of it has a place for prayer requests. The other side is just a place for some information about you so we can send you some information about us if you would like to learn more about our church. Uh, If you do fill out one of those cards, there is a kiosk on the the back of the room, a box on that kiosk. Drop it there on your way out. We'd love to connect with you or pray for you in any way that we can. Uh, There's also, you can fill that form out online, and we would love to uh, connect with you there too. Uh, But Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, uh, verses uh, 7 to 18, and we'll read the text. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you don't have a copy in front of you, you want to follow along there, uh, that would be appropriate as well. But Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7 through verse 18, we'll read the Apostle Paul's words when he writes, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill your ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is God's word. You know, if you study music, you learn very early on that there are certain keys that songs are written in. There are major keys, which are written with major notes, and minor keys, which are written with minor notes. But a key, a musical key, is that major or minor scale around which a piece of music might resolve, or, or, I'm sorry, revolve. That's the word I was looking for. Um, but a song, so, so a, a song, for instance, played in the key of C major revolves around seven notes of the C major scale, and those notes are as follows, C, D, E, F, G, A, and B. In other words, when a writer or a composer is working on a piece of music and they're working in a certain scale, they have, a, they have these seven notes to work with within that scale because those notes work together. 
right? They blend together in certain ways. But they fit within that scale. But a good composer, a good author, a good writer, they know how to order those notes in the appropriate ways in order to make that music shine, in order to make that piece that they've composed pleasing to the ear and appropriate to the mood or the context that they are writing for. And as we read this text this morning in Colossians chapter 4, there are any number of notes that we could play from the scale of this text. We could dissect the particulars and look at all the players that Paul mentions in the closing of the letter because they all work together in some way, shape, or form. Right? We could look at uh, the, the, or play the note of conflict, resolution, and reconciliation. You're like, well, where is that in the passage? We can look back to Acts chapter 15 and see that in Acts 15 there was such a sharp dispute between a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas over a guy named John Mark. Because John Mark had gone with Paul on his first missionary journey, abandoned that journey, and now before they go on the second journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with him. Paul does not because he's afraid John Mark can't cut it. And so they they have such a sharp dispute between them that Paul goes his own way and does his ministry. Barnabas goes his own way and does his ministry, right? And and they, they, they don't partner up for that second missionary journey because of John Mark's abandonment. But now here at the end of Colossians, Paul says that John Mark has been one of the only three Jews who have worked with him for the sake of God's kingdom. And that John Mark has been a great comfort to the Apostle Paul as he's been imprisoned under house arrest. Something must have happened to resolve that conflict that erupted between them. And so we could sound that note this morning, but I don't think that's the note that we need to sound. We could sound the note of faithful ministry from this passage. We could consider what faithful rather than famous ministry looks like in a day and age of celebrity pastors and best-selling authors and podcasters and bloggers and those who are on the cover of magazines because of their shoes and their style. We could consider what faithful rather than famous ministry looks like by looking at Epaphras who Paul says was wrestling in prayer for the church in Colossae, that they would stand mature and fully assured of all that was in God's will for them. Paul says that Epaphras has faithfully labored for the church at Colossae and also for the church at Laodicea and for those Christians in Hierapolis. He's done it behind the scenes, not from a platform, but in prayer. We could look at Tychicus, who was a faithful postman to the glory of Jesus. Right? It would seem that Tychicus was Paul's entrusted courier, that he handed the letter to Colossians and to the Ephesians, put them in his hands, said, deliver these letters to these places and to these churches, to these people. But he's not only a courier, but he's also an ambassador because he says, Tychicus will tell you everything that's happened here concerning me. So he represents Paul where Paul could not represent himself. He was one who Paul trusted He was faithful to relay all that had happened. We could look at Nympha, who was a faithful female disciple, who owned a house probably in Laodicea and opened it up as a meeting place for the church in her town. And she received others into her sphere, that space that God had blessed her with, with such hospitality that Paul finds it necessary to extend greetings to her at the end of his letter to the church at Colossae. We can look at these faithful ministers for whom Paul expresses gratitude and sound that note, but I don't think it's the note that we need to sound this morning. Or we can sound the note of perseverance in your calling. 
We can look at verse 17 where the church is charged to deliver a message to a disciple named Archippus. And they're told to tell him to fulfill the ministry that he had received in the Lord. In other words, Archippus is not to give up on the service that Jesus has commissioned him to. He's not to walk away from those things that Christ has called him to carry out. Now, we don't know why he was struggling or why he would be considering right, abandoning the ministry that Christ had entrusted to him. But listen, as someone who served in ministry for 25 years in various capacities, I have a few ideas. <laughs> but he says, don't neglect to fulfill your ministry. We can look at perseverance in your calling. That could be a note that we would sound, but I don't think it's the note that we need to sound this morning. But each of these notes is in the key of the text. But I don't think it's the right time to play any of them. Rather, the note I want us to take a look at this morning in the time that we have is in verse 18. Where the Apostle Paul says he's taken the pen from the person transcribing his dictation. That's how Paul wrote many of his letters. He would dictate to someone who would transcribe, write them down. But he says, I've taken the pen in my own hand. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. At the end of verse 18, Paul's final words to a church he had never visited. Perhaps didn't know many of them personally. But he heard much about. And he writes them to display the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ in all of life. To say Jesus is enough. His final word to them is grace be with you. And that's the note that I want to play this morning in our time together. Grace be with you. On this Kind of the, the, the eve of the beginning of my sabbatical, the elders have graciously, and you have graciously blessed me with through the end of this year. I want to leave this morning, and it, it may sound like, well, he's leaving for good. I'm not leaving for good, all right? I'm not leaving for good. Unless one of the shrubs in front of my house starts to burn and does not burn up, and a voice speaks to me out of it at some point over the course of the next three months, I'll be back here January 7th, Okay? Um, so I'm not, I'm not planning on going anywhere. But I want to leave you with this note. Grace be with you. And encourage you over the course of these next three and a half months to do one thing. And I got one point and one point for only this morning. All right? Some of you have heard this trick before. <laughs> but it's this. To stand in grace. Stand in grace. Earlier in the book of the Col uh, Colossians, all the way back in verse 2 of chapter 1, when Paul opens the letter, he says these words to the church, grace to you. Now when Paul closes the letter, the last words he writes to the church are grace with you. He opens his remarks to them saying grace to you, closes with the final words grace with you. Now this morning we could chalk that up to customary writing styles of salutations and closings of letters and formal greetings. And while there may be some merit to that, I believe there's more to say about this than that. See, Paul opens the letter by saying grace to you as if in the writing of this letter that 
as Paul was being carried along by the Holy Spirit, as Peter will say later in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the prophets and the, the, the apostles, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote Scripture. As Paul's carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing this inspired letter, there's a stream of grace flowing to the church at Colossae. Something's coming to them, and it's grace, God's grace. And now Paul closes the letter by saying grace with you as if to say the grace that has come to you from God the Father through this inspired writing that he has carried me along by his Holy Spirit to commission that that grace would be with you as you go forth to do all that ought to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Grace coming to you, grace being with you. Grace is indeed the unmerited favor of God, right? We can use that language. Many of us, as I sat down with some of these baptismal candidates and asked them, hey, what do you understand grace to be? What do you understand sin to be? What do you understand faith to be? What do you understand about what Christ has done for you that you could not do for yourself, right? And almost inevitably, those, they, they, they all said grace is the unmerited favor of God. And unmerited essentially means this. It means something you didn't earn, something that you don't deserve, Something that was bestowed upon you freely, lavishly, richly by someone who had it all to give. That's what grace is. And we can talk about the, the, the forgiveness aspect of grace, and we will here in a moment, but there's also the empowering aspect of grace that shows up throughout the New Testament as well. Of God empowering His people by His grace to do what He's commissioned and called them to do. And when Paul writes to these letters, every single letter Paul writes, go back and look at them later on today. I don't have time to take you there this morning because I got one point and one point only. But in every letter Paul writes, he starts with this word, these words, grace to you. And every letter that he closes, I believe with the exception of one, it's grace with you. So this grace that's come to you through the writing is now going to be with you as you stand forth to go out and do everything that you've been called to do, to believe everything that I've said is true about you in what I've written in the indicative, and to go out and obey all the commands that have come to you through this letter in the imperatives, grace with you. The grace of God comes through the Word of God. See, the written copies of Scripture we have in our possession are like conduits carrying grace from its origin to its application. I remember a number of years ago when my family lived in Rowlett and Verizon, a, a telecommunications company, was coming through uh, to install high-speed internet into our neighborhood. And I was like, yippee, right? And so I remember them digging in the alleyway for quite some time to put in the junction boxes where everything was going to come together. And then they began to bring cabling for the fiber cabling high-speed internet cabling to our home and the way that they did that was by trenching and putting an underground piece of pipe called a conduit right that conduit was was carrying the cabling that came from the junction box which came from wherever internet comes from right um, which came to our house Right? But conduits are used to take uh, cabling that either carry electricity or data. Right? They take it from its point of origin to its point of termination. Right? Where it comes from to where it's being used, to where it's being applied. That's a conduit. Right? This, they're running through the walls of this building. They're underneath the streets of the, that you drive across in, in our town. That's a conduit. 
And essentially, when you think about the Scriptures, you think of them as this conduit of grace, of God speaking, that the grace originates in God, and then it comes through His Word, and it it terminates in our lives. And Paul says, grace is coming to you, and that grace that has come to you through the written Word of God is now with you. I'm leaving it with you to empower you to believe everything that's been written about who you are and to do everything that you've been asked to do, commanded to do by God. That's grace. He says, may God's grace be with you as you go out to believe every indicative and obey every imperative. The grace to encourage us, the grace to correct us, the grace to instruct us, the grace to rebuke us, it all originates with God, comes through His Word, and terminates in the lives of His people. So this morning, I want the note of God's grace to ring and and resonate and resolve in your life through everything we've seen in the book of Colossians. I want to say with the Apostle Paul, grace with you, grace with you to believe that Jesus is enough for you, that you don't need Jesus plus Eastern meditation, that you don't need Jesus plus crystals, that you don't need Jesus plus diviners, that you don't need Jesus plus your horoscope, that you don't need Jesus plus self-help manuals, that you don't need Jesus plus anything, but that Jesus is sufficient for you, that God's grace would be with you to believe that. That you'd be spiritually whole in Him. That the grace of God be with you to bear good fruit consistent with the good news. That there be fruit being born in your life as God's grace overflows in your daily realities of living. The grace to affirm not only the sufficiency of Jesus, but the supremacy of Jesus. The grace that you need to say Jesus is first place. I want to bring, like we said in baptism this morning, all of my life, every aspect, every vein, every artery, for the rest of my life, every day that God gives me under his lordship, because he's first place, he's supreme. That God will give us the grace to do that. The grace to believe that Jesus, as Paul says earlier in Colossians, is the fullness of God in the flesh. And that he was sent to make peace between God and man. And that there is no other peacemaker other than Jesus. The grace to prioritize the preached word as we saw a number of weeks back. And listen, over the course of these next three months, there'll be some great preachers here. We've got three here in-house who will do a wonderful job of delivering God's Word to you week in and week out. And we've got a couple of the folks who will come in from the outside. One will be, not next week, but the following, on the 24th. A pastor from South Africa will be here. He'll be preaching for us from the book of Exodus, a message of hope. Later on, we'll have another uh, pastor, former pastor who's in town here, is a good friend of mine. He'll be bringing us a message out of the book of Psalms on hope. Our elders have put together a series, a thematic series of messages on hope to infuse hope into the DNA of our church over the course of these next three months. So prioritize the preached word. May God give you the grace to do so. The grace to remember who you once were before Christ. The grace to rejoice in who you will be 
in the future in Christ. So that actively in the present, you would be in the process of becoming who you are. And acknowledging God's part in that process and embracing your responsibility to walk in holiness as you are sanctified. God will give you the grace for that. That grace be with you to conform your life to the pattern of Jesus, to his design as the architect, author of creation, including you, your life. He will give you the grace to follow Jesus' path for your life and the pace and trust him that whenever things begin to go sideways, that he is the only one who can hold you together. He will sustain you. The grace to measure maturity by growth and spiritual fruit rather than by man-made regulations and hash marks that we put on the playing field of life. The grace to live out your new identity in Christ as one hidden with Christ in God. That God would be with you with the grace you need to do that because the world will try to tell you that you are someone that God says you are not time and time and time and time again in various ways but that God would give you the grace that it would be with you to say no I am not what I feel but I am what God says my life is hidden with Christ in God that is my identity the grace that you need to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you That if there is animosity, that if there is hostility, that if if there are feelings that have been bruised and battered, that God's grace would be with you to step forward in humility, owning where it is that you went wrong and receiving perhaps the apologies of others in gracious and humble ways and extending apologies to others in gracious and humble ways. The grace to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. The grace of God be with you to be husbands who love and serve in their homes to be wives who honor, respect, and submit to their husbands, to be children who obey their parents and enjoy the blessing attached to that commandment, parents who disciple and discipline their children, employees and employers who worship while they work and see all of life as an offering given to God. May He give you the grace to do so. May grace be with you to pray for open doors in the face of trials. And grace to share boldly the good news of Jesus with those who are around you, as we saw last week. Grace to you. Grace with you. See, all the Christian life, if you haven't realized it yet, is grace. In fact, this morning, if you're not a Christian in the room, there's no way that you can stand in grace because you stand under God's wrath, under his anger against sin. That's where you stand this morning. And the only way to stand in his grace for you is to turn away from running and ruling your own life, to repent. 
what it means to repent and say, Jesus, I'm not in charge anymore, but you are. I'm going to bring my life to you. I confess and acknowledge my sins to you to receive your forgiveness, your cleansing, to experience your love. I'm confessing my sins, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If you have not done that in your life, then you stand under God's wrath, but not in his grace. But for those who have confessed their sins and trusted in Christ, then you're able now to stand in grace. See, all the Christian life is grace. From the beginning, I I think of John Newton's hymn that he wrote many, many years ago, The Amazing Grace. We sing it almost at every funeral where he says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. In other words, I came to understand that I stood under the judgment of God under his wrath and I rightly should fear him because he can crush me it was grace the unmerited favor of God that taught me that but then he says it was grace my fears relieved because I know that God stands ready to forgive if I would come to him and place my life in his hands that he would remove his wrath and extend to me his love. Grace taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. And then he says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. That grace became precious to him in the moment that he said, I place my confidence in Christ, not in myself, to do a good, enough good works because I realize at the end of the age, the scale is always going to be tipped against me. And grace taught me to fear, but it also taught me to be free when I first believed. But not only is our conversion all of grace. Listen to what Newton says as he goes further in the song. He says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Can I get a witness? Many of you can testify of dangers and toils and snares through which you've already come. And he says, it's grace that's brought me safe thus far. Down every path that you walked, every detour that you took, it was grace, God's grace, that was leading you safely along the way. And you are here today, here today, because of His grace that has led you to this point in your life. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace, he says, shall lead me home. That when I draw my final breath in this life, and I pass from this age into the next, my only hope is his grace that will bring me home as a child of God the Father as an heir and co-heir with Christ, as one indwelt by the Holy Spirit, His grace will lead us home. All the Christian life is grace, from conversion to consummation, every step of the way. Grace to you. Grace with you.
Now, church, the first place I came across this concept or this truth of grace to and with you was in the writings and preachings of a retired pastor by the name of John Piper. And I, I can't do any better than he did in the way that he says what he says here. So I want you to hear his words as I close this morning. He says, Paul has in mind that the letter itself is a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's writing to the Christians. So he says, grace to you. That is, grace is now active and is about to flow from God through this letter to you as you read. Grace be to you. But as the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes that the reading is almost finished and the question rises, what becomes of the grace that has been flowing to the readers through the reading of the inspired letter? He answers with a blessing at the end of every letter, grace be with you. He says, with you as you put the letter away and leave the church. With you as you go home to deal with a sick child or an unaffectionate spouse. With you as you go to work and face the temptations of anger and dishonesty. With you as you master courage to speak up for Christ over lunch. Thus we learn that grace is ready to flow to us every time we take up the inspired scriptures to read them. And we learn that grace will abide with us when we lay the Bible down and go about our daily living. Grace to you, grace with you. So as I step away on sabbatical from now through the end of this year, I want to sound that note of grace with you. That you would believe and be and do all that the Lord has for us as a church to be and believe and do over these next three months. And so I want to leave you with a selected reading from the book of Philippians. If you'll indulge me for just a moment. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 2, the Apostle Paul begins, Grace to you. And peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may be, be so that you may approve what is excellent and be so pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, church, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure and then his final words to the church at philippi the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit just because i'm stepping away for a season doesn't mean that god is not working here that he's not going to continue to work here he's not continue to draw people to faith in jesus disciple people as they walk with him Draw new members in the life of this church. Give us ideas for new ministries that need to be launched and perhaps some that need to be pulled offline so others can be launched. God's not done. May His grace be with us to be and to believe and to do everything that He calls us to. Let's pray together. Father, we know and acknowledge that all of the Christian life is grace. From the moment of our conversion, through the waters of baptism, through every step along our journey of discipleship, of being conformed to the image of Christ, it's all of grace. It's not to say that we don't have a part to play and embrace our responsibility to work out our salvation in fear and trembling but we do that because it's you who's working in us. It's you who's providing the motives and the means. It's you who's inspiring us to devote ourselves to prayer and to scripture and to service in your body. It's you. It's not me. It's not me. So would you remind me of that over the course of these next three months? Would you remind our church of that over the course of these next three months? That they would stand in grace and carry out all that you've commanded and be all that you have said we are. Father, I pray that these next three months would be a season of growth for our church. Father, you know how my heart yearns for them and how I thank you for them consistently 
in my prayers for their partnership in the gospel. May that partnership continue to bloom over the course of these next three months. May you raise up others who would put their hands to the plow and be a part of faithful ministry here and service maybe that goes unseen. Be with the elders as they lead. Be with them as they preach. Be with them as they counsel and shepherd. Be with the staff as they execute and operate. Be with our deacons as they lead teams to fulfill ministry in our context. Be with our community. Would you draw men and women and boys and girls from across this rapidly growing city into fellowship with yourself and into fellowship with our church? Would you be with our next five team as they prepare for what's next and the steps we need to take in the property? Would you be with all who are picking up and shouldering additional responsibility? And Father, I pray that there be a time of growth for me as well. I pray you would teach me. I pray that you would mold me. I pray you press into me things that are not there yet and pull out of me things that are that don't need to be. And Father, I pray that this season of sabbatical would be a time of rest and refreshment. And I pray that January 1, I'd be be able to step back into pastoral ministry here after having some fallow time for the sake of future fruitfulness here in this community, at this church. You've blessed me to call home and pastor these last nine years. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through His Word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust Him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage and page of the Bible.